It's Wednesday, May the 20th. We're studying 2 Peter chapter 2, and we have reached verse number 18. This is the method of the false teachers. Take a look at the passage, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, you remember, was comparing the false teachers, uh, which were not only in the first century, but would be throughout the church age, to Balaam, who was all about self-promotion and self-gain. He loved the gain from wrongdoing. And uh, we talked last time about a couple of things. One is that they are waterless springs, that picture and image of not providing what a teacher of God's word should provide. Um, they're instead, they're driven by a storm. They do whatever is fluctuating and putting their finger in the air, or whatever the poles say. Uh, they're shifting. They're not grounded in the truth of God's word. Uh, for they, for them, these false teachers, the gloom of utter darkness, which is a description of God's judgment, has been reserved. So they got a seat reserved there in judgment, which has been the theme throughout our passage. Well, here's our text for today, verse number 18. For speaking loud boasts of folly, okay, they, the false teachers, enticed by sensual passions of the flesh, interesting phrase we'll look at, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So that, we've got to unravel all of those pronouns here. We'll look at that in a minute. But let's just start with this phrase right here, speaking loud boasts of folly. Now, um, this is a unique word here that translates in our English text. Look at verse 18, loud boasts. Uh, matter of fact, it's a hapax legomenon, or it would be if it weren't in one other passage in the New Testament. And if I were even just to say that, that this Greek word shows up in only one other New Testament book, uh, you would guess which one it is, right? You would say Jude, because Jude and Second Peter parallel. We've looked at that. We've talked about it. One is uh, seemingly dependent, uh, at least in human terms, on the other. Whether that's Second Peter on Jude or Jude on Second Peter, uh, that's debatable. But there is here is this word, and there's a word that is added, a Greek word in Jude, uh, and that's the word mouth in the Greek text, uh, but this word, loud boaster, see this, loud boasters. Let's just get the whole verse here, verse 16. This is Jude, verse 16. They are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, which is an interesting way to translate it, a, I mean, an accurate way to translate it. But this word here, loud boasters, is the same word we have here, loud boasts of folly. And I guess the, the emphasis that I want to talk about is the word loud. There's something about that in Scripture, that kind of uh, pejorative, not just pejorative, but uh, uh, the, 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 the brash, brazen, loud, boisterous, there's the word I was looking for, um, kind of talk that comes, the over-assertiveness of people teaching false doctrine. They do it so arrogantly, as we've seen already in the context. And if you want to look for that concept of volume here, and I know it's illustrative. You could be a soft-spoken false teacher, there's no doubt about that, saying loud truths that are very pompous and, and, and arrogant and puffed up. Um, I just thought the loud principle we should look at in uh, the Scripture. I wish we had more time, but let's just look, at least look at one good example here from Proverbs chapter 9, verses 13 uh, through 18. It says, the woman folly, and the personification of wisdom and the personification of folly in Proverbs, hopefully you recognize in the first uh, nine chapters of Proverbs, is, is setting up for all the Proverbs that start in chapter 10. Uh, but all of this setup uh, begins to personify the wrong direction, the wrong path. And it talks about folly as a woman, the, the thing that is going to lead us off the path. And notice the first thing that's described. Uh, the woman folly is loud. She's seductive, 
right? She knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and she takes her seat on the highest places of the town. She's calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way, which we've seen that analogy in Second uh, Peter. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. You can just kind of see and, and catch the yelling out of, of folly here. Uh, to him who lacks sense, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So all of this kind of uh, diversive or uh, subversive uh, kind of, of, of talk to lead people off the path. Uh, but he does not know that the dead are there, those that, he's, that Folly, the woman Folly, is speaking to, and that her guests, uh, her guests, that is Folly, uh, are in the depths of the grave, the depths of Sheol. So I, I don't know. There's a lot we can say about the boisterous, loud, arrogant, brash, overconfident kind of, uh, of, of message of false teachers. Again, whether it's soft-spoken coming out of the mouth of the false teacher or whether it's done with great volume, that analogy of the picture of that loud, boisterous, kind of overconfident, arrogant teaching is what you see characterizing the, um, the false teachers, right? Not that a True teacher can't be one who raises his voice in the pulpit or says things loudly or assertively. Certainly there should be a great authority uh, in Scripture, as Paul wrote in the pastoral epistles, that no one disregards you, speak these things with all authority. But uh, there is something about the unique brashness of false teaching. As it says here, uh, the loud boasts, uh, or in Jude, of course, the uh, loud mouth boasters. Uh, the word mouth there is added, as I said. All right, um, all of this is about boasting, right? And it's all foolish, but the boasting is the problem. It was the problem in Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, as it related to the first sin of the universe, right? Of God's creation. Uh, we had a prideful heart, uh, someone who wants to put themselves above everyone else. And uh, that's the problem. Proverbs 16, 18 and 19 says, and it's reiterated throughout the scripture, that pride is such a problem and eventually it will be destroyed. It will There will be destruction. Pride goes before destruction. Someone who's destroyed, the thing that uh, is the precursor to that, the thing that comes along ahead of that is, is pride. And a haughty spirit, right, a lifted up haughty spirit, and you can almost hear the volume in that phrase as we say it, uh, before a fall. But better is the lowly, uh, better to be low of lowly spirit, humble, with the poor, right, not have any money, than to divide all the spoil and all the stuff that you might get with the proud. And again, this connection of wealth and spoil and greed and money and materialism as being the driving factor and really the successful intent and objective of so many false teachers is what we see. And it's here again associated with pride. Pride, haughty spirit, the proud. And that's the problem with a lot of the false teachings, if not almost all of it, is that there's a lot of arrogant, bold, brash, boisterous kinds of teaching, speaking loud boasts of folly. And what do they do? Take a look at verse number 18, back at our passage here, 2 Peter 2, 18, they entice. Now we've seen that in the context. Uh, as a matter of fact, look back here at verse 14, two verses or four verses earlier, uh, speaking of those who have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin, they entice. There's our word, and that's the same word that we have here, both in English and in the Greek text of the New Testament. They entice unsteady souls, people that aren't grounded, people that don't have a firm and stable position, as we'll see in chapter 3 of 2 Peter. That's so important. That's the whole point of the letter, at least the primary point, is that there would be an established strength to not be swayed by false teaching when the false teachers come along. That's why 2 Peter was written. And again, the connection again to the idea of money and greed. They have hearts trained in greed. Um, 
James chapter 1, verse 14, this is the, there's only three references, three uses of this word, and here's the third one. I thought I would add it just to round things out. It's the word entice, that Greek word entice. And this is James 1, 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Now, certainly that's the case, but the desire of one's heart in the flesh of their hearts is connected to the enticing of the false teachers. In other words, you have a predisposition for the kinds of desires, the self-serving, self-promoting, self-gratifying, self-aggrandizing desires that we have as a fallen individual in the flesh. All of that is aided or it's been given an outlet through the teaching of the false teachers. They are going to entice uh, by, take a look at this word here now in verse 18, the sensual passions of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the deep desires of the fallenness, the base part of who we are as human beings. And you can see in Jude, just to get back to the beginning of the book, which reminds us of why uh, this book was written, Jude was written, which is the same motivation as Second Peter. And that is that you've got a lot of people creeping in unnoticed who were designated for this condemnation that he's going to talk about, ungodly people who, and here's the enticement, they pervert the grace of God into sensuality, or as some translations put it, a license to sin. In other words, you can have what you want in your fleshly desires and satisfy and gratify whatever it is that you might want, and you can still have Christianity at the same time. Uh, you can have them both. And in doing so, they really deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ because Christ has called us to deny the flesh and to say no to a lot of the base desires that we have, uh, all the base desires that we have as human beings in the fallen flesh. Uh, Romans chapter 6, uh, this heading here in um, the ESV, Dead to Sin, Alive to God, that's just the editorial heading. What shall we say then? Are we continuing sin that grace may abound? Well, by no means. See, and that's the biblical message of the true teachers, right? It's not that they're going to entice you by capitalizing on your desire for stuff, whether it's greed for money or fulfillment for uh, your gratification in your flesh. Uh, well, the real gospel says, no, you've no means should you pursue that. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? And of course, he's going to talk a lot about that in Romans chapter 6, which is a great passage. But that's the means or the mechanism by which the false teachers attempt to lure people off the path of true biblical orthodoxy. Uh, the last phrase here now, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. Okay, now let's just unwrap those. Those who are barely escaping, who's the those here? Well, the people that are enticed, right? In other words, the people that Peter is is writing to, he's saying, don't be like these folks who are enticed by the false teachers who are really appealing to the lowest base desires of people. He says, who are barely or recently escaping those who live in error. Now, there's a those here that I think is important for us to realize we're dealing with the, the world, the whole system of anti-Christian, non-Christian living. That's why I'm going to take you now real quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now, again, this is a passage that needs a lot of explanation, uh, but and I put a little star here because there's a footnote in your ESV if you look at the beginning of this in verse number one. Now, concerning, now here's how the ESV translators put it, spiritual gifts, which is not the word that is translated spiritual gifts in the rest of the passage. Matter of fact, literally you'll see that this, if you were to look at the Greek New Testament, this just says, now concerning the spirituals. And that's why you have a little asterisk here or a footnote. You're going to have a number here. It's going to go to the margins. It's going to say uh, perhaps spiritual persons because all it says is spiritual. It could be spiritual things, could be spiritual persons, could be spiritual gifts. 
I'm going to argue that it's not spiritual gifts, and I rarely want to disagree with the translators because they're great and, 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 and very smart men, but in the context, I don't think that's the point here. Matter of fact, the, the uh, contrast that's set up, take a look at this, uh, is really between the pagans, which in the Greek New Testament is the word ethnos or nations, right? He says, you know that when you were of the nations, you were the, the ethnos, you were the, the pagans, right? You weren't under God. You were led astray to mute idols. They weren't really anything. However, you were led. And there's a lot of people in Corinth or Rome and a lot of places in the Greco-Roman world that had no interest in God or in Jesus Christ or the Messiah, uh, right? They, they were not about that. Well, he's saying now regarding the spiritual persons, I don't want to be uninformed. Now, there was those that were living for the pagan, you know, uh, or the the pagans were living for all these mute idols for nothing. Um, but he says, I want you to understand, verse number three, that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in or by the Holy Spirit. And the point, I say in or by because it's the same Greek word, in or by. Um, the, the connection here may be too much to explain in our short devotional here, but I would recommend that you go look at a sermon where I really unpack this passage. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I think I wrote the sermon number down, 04-03. So 04-03, we unpack all this, but the idea of the spiritual persons is the kind of dichotomy that was set up in the book of 1 Corinthians between those who paraded around as the super spirituals and all the other people who were dismissed as being just the regular folks. And that's why the whole discussion of spiritual gifts is sandwiched there in between a chapter on love in verse, chapter 13, because these people were not loving each other and building each other up with their gifts. The spiritual gifts, right, were the, in the minds of the people in Corinth, were the spiritual people who had this, you know, this high and lofty view of themselves and then all the normal people. And my point in bringing this all up is that these people that are barely escaping those who live in error, the those who live in error are the kinds of people that would go to the idols and had nothing to do with the God of the New Testament. They were just outside of all of this talk of God, the God of the Old Testament, or the Messiah that was expected and was explained in the New Testament. They had no interest in that. And you could say, well, there were people that would say, oh, Jesus is a curse. There's no interest that we have in this Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That kind of dismissing of, of Jesus, this debasing of Jesus, versus those that are saying, well, Jesus is Lord. Now, I sell that just to define who the those are here, those who live in error. This is what I believe is being referred to here in this last phrase. And what did they do? Well, they recently or barely or just got out of escaping from those. Therefore, we're talking about new converts. Well, new converts aren't going to go back and say, well, yeah, let's go to the pagan uh, temple and we'll pick up a temple prostitute there and engage in all that because they used to say Jesus is a curse. They dismissed all that nonsense of Paul and the apostles. But now they're saying Jesus is Lord. Well, that's of the Holy Spirit. Well, that has a contextual purpose in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he's going to talk about the fact that we are all, you know, as, as I put it in the sermon when I preached and unpacked this text, we are all to God an important part of his plan in every part, whether it's a, a hand or a foot or a toe or an elbow, whatever it is, an ear, a nose, they're all important and very essential in the body of Christ. And so he's going to really try to define what it was to be a spiritual person, which is everyone who declares by the Spirit of God, Jesus is Lord and lives according to that purpose. Well, there's a lot of people, by the way, that are saying Jesus is Lord that are not Christians. And that's the scary part of 2 Peter and Jude. 
Put it this way, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, I thought only those who say Jesus is Lord can only say that by the Spirit or in the Spirit of, of God, the Holy Spirit. Well, that's true if it's genuine. And that's the problem with the false teachers. They take those who've just gotten out of this very clear contrast between the world of pagan idolatry and temple prostitution and all the rest, and now they come on the scene and they say, Lord, Lord, and they have all kinds of things that they do, right? They, they, they say, Stuff we prophesied in your name, Matthew 7 22 says. We cast out demons in your name. We did all these things. We were all about you. We did many mighty works in your name. That's what the false teachers are going to say, right? We had broadcasts and shows and wrote books, right? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, now that's the problem here. Here are people still having people engage in the sensual passions of the flesh. They're enticing people, not under the banner of Jesus is accursed, but Jesus is Lord. And that's the scary part of this whole text. The text is people that have snuck in and creeped in unaware. Um, I, I just want to remind you of the context of what this is all about, because it's something that should be for us a helpful clarification of the discernment that we ought to have, looking within the church of Jesus Christ and realizing not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, really has our spiritual interest in mind, but a lot of people are giving us excuses, as it says there in Jude, giving a, a reason or a license to say, well, you can have Christ and say, Jesus is Lord, and then live the way that you want to live, which is the very thing he's calling out. They're usually loud, boasting people, they're boasting of their folly, and they're enticing people with all kinds of things saying, you can have what you want, you can get what you want, you can amass what you want, you can experience what you want, uh, and these are the people they victimize, they entice, those who have just barely got out. They're not well grounded. They've just escaped from the whole Jesus is accursed paganism life of whatever they've come from. So I hope that helps in some way, though that was a lot of uh, explanation, and I trust that maybe it'll give us some insight into knowing the uh, camouflage nature of the false teachers, both in the first century and in the 21st century. We'll be back tomorrow as we get into um, chapter 2, verse 19 in 2 Peter. Be sure to join us then.